Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. And today we're going to talk about project vehicle updates. We're going to do the deep dive into Matt's Gladiator. We've got a new project vehicle, a Lexus GX470. We're going to talk a little bit about our Mercedes G-Class, Matt's Mercedes G-Class. We're also going to do a little bit of a dive into some other possible projects for the future, including a full-size Dodge Ram. And I think it's a good conversation about some of the current technologies, some products that we have really found to be exceptional, and we've decided to install into our own vehicles. And also for a first for the Overland Journal podcast, we're going to be introducing some premium supporters of the podcast. So any endeavor like this does require support in order to be successful in the long term. And Garmin has chosen to be our first supporter for the Overland Journal podcast. And they're specifically supporting us in relationship to their new Overlander device. And it allows you to roam the unknown with Overlander. It's a rugged all-terrain navigation device from Garmin. Overlander is a bright, seven-inch color touchscreen with topography and spoken turn-by-turn directions for street maps so that you can easily navigate on and off-road throughout North and South America. It comes preloaded with iOverlander POIs. That's something that I've used personally out in the field and found to be very helpful. And the ultimate public campgrounds as well. So you don't need cell coverage in route to find a campsite or your next destination. Overlander is a tough device. It's built to withstand dust, vibration, and extreme temperatures. So a big thanks again to Garmin for the support of this podcast. And let's get right to it. And we're going to we're gonna talk about something a little different today. We're well, going to talk about trucks. We're going to talk about trucks. I guess SUVs, because some of them aren't technically trucks. Some of them have a cab on the back <laughs> based on trucks. But we're going to talk about that kind of stuff because we have some really cool projects going on, both Scott and I. Um, you know, we get a lot of feedback, you know, through Instagram that you guys are really interested in the things that we're doing. So I, I thought that, yeah, we would just have a trucky podcast because we're all stuck at home. We're running out of travel stuff to talk yeah. about. And uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, Scott's got this awesome GX project, GX 460. What year is that? So it's a 2007 and, and I think it was because I just, I had the, the G wagon for so long. Yeah. I just never wanted to get another car, but I realized that it's my job to actually build trucks and talk about them yeah. and try out new products. So, so I picked up this, this GX actually in 2018 and then it just sat there because I was traveling. Yeah. And now that I'm not traveling, it's it's getting modified. So yeah. I, I think they're cool. For for those of you that don't know, um, you know, the Lexus GX 460, 470. Sorry, there's a 460 and a 470, but the 470 was based on the Prado 120, which was sold uh globally. So the cool right. thing is that this is a global platform. And some people may look at this as a as a negative, but I don't know why. But we got all the luxury stuff in it. So we got extra sound deadening. We got the, you know, the whole Lexus leather treatment. We got some more body cladding. Um, but at its core, it is the same vehicle, albeit with a V8 instead of a underpowered diesel engine that everybody else gets. Exactly. In fact, it was a trip that I did to Tasmania where I drove around the entire trip from the ferry crossing and doing the Balfour track. And I mean, really challenging terrain, very remote terrain and Tasmania, I did it all in this Prado. And by the end of it, 
because so much of that Prado is shared with the, with the Lexus GX, I thought that's the next car. Yeah. Cause it gives me this durable drivetrain. It gives me this level of reliability. And then it also gives me the four, seven V eight, which is one of the best motors that Toy- awesome. Toyota has brought into the United States. And because the, the GX has become so popular as an overland platform, the aftermarket has responded in spades. So we've yeah. got so many options. And, and they share, you know, the, the forerunner from the same era is also essentially a product. FJ, Cru- FJ, FJ Cruiser. Cruiser. Yep. So as far as suspension, and I want to say you put the old man Emu ARB BP51s on. I did. And the main reason why I did that is that I, I have tested the product before on other vehicles, but I've not had it any, yeah. any length of time myself. Uh, there's so many good suspension companies out there, but what one of the things that I liked about the BP51s is they used they use a lot more rubber bushings than yeah. heim joints, so you end up with a lot less noise, a lot better long-term durability. I like the fact that you can adjust the rebound and compression dampening in it. Um, it is a little bit of a challenge to make that adjustment on the vehicle, so you got to use a special tool to do that. It's not a knob; it actually requires a a special tool to make that adjustment. But so far, I just installed it just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was really impressed with the quality of the product, the finish on it. It looks like it's going to be durable. And of course, it's made for Australian roads, so it should, yeah. be, should be pretty robust. Yeah, I think they've definitely done a good job with that suspension. I know I know. initially there were a few kind of complaints, issues with it, and they it's ARB. They fixed all of that. They did. You know, I mean, this was their first, you know, I don't want to call it a racing shock, but there's definitely some, some pretty advanced, you know, valving technology, you know, there's very, very few rebound and compression adjustable shocks. Um, you know, most adjustable and I'm doing the air quotes shot, you know, with, with, with my fingers, they're compression adjustable, which is, which is, which is probably the capability of most people to just turn a knob. Okay. It feels better. It feels not better. Um, you know, the, the rebound just, I don't know. It, it, I like the rebound adjustment. So for those that are listening, one of the reasons why we do want to focus a lot on rebound is it con- helps us control how the vehicle reacts after an input. So you have an event and people tend to over overdo compression damping, which then slows the ability for the suspension to, to take the input from the event. But why you want rebound is after this big event has happened, you hit a G out, or you have a big rock in the road or whatever. It's how the shock controls the weight of the vehicle and that mass and motion after the input, which is why rebound is so important. So I actually like to go relatively light on compression and heavier on rebound, which is why it's nice for me to be able to have that adjustability. And and I do I do like the fact that I have additional fluid volume with it. So it has a remote reservoir. So I've got quite a bit of fluid capacity. So long distances of corrugated roads, the shock temperatures are going to stay really light. And then it also, look they look super durable, really bomber. Yeah, they, they, they seem like a good product. And then you did AEV's new Toyota six lug wheels, I want to say too, the Crestone. Yeah, that's it. So um, I've always been a huge fan of of AEV for a lot of reasons, mostly because of the the quality of the products that they produce. But recently they made some of their wheels available for other bolt patterns. So you can, if you've got a, a six on five and a half, which could be a Nissan, many of the Nissan products, most of the Toyota products, 
So a Forerunner, FJ Cruiser, GX, Tacoma, you can fit these new Crestone wheels. And this is what makes them really unique is that it is a DOT legal beadlock. So you can get either the faux beadlock ring just for aesthetics, or you can actually put the bead outside of the inner wheel diameter and then capture it with a proper beadlock ring, which is what I did. And you think, why would you need beadlocks on a GX? And one of the things that I've learned in my travels is the benefit of extremely low air pressures. So um, I like the fact that if I'm, if I do get into deep snow, um, I've had times when I've been crossing over mountain ranges and ended up in feet deep snow. So I can go down to that one and a half PSI, two PSI if I need to, to get through that. I mean, you're not in an Arctic truck here, Scott. I know, but it it feels like it, right? Uh, So yeah, you can go really low pressures. And then the other thing that I like about a beadlock is you improve field serviceability. So you can remove the outer ring, of course, take the pressure out, remove the outer ring. You can pull the carcass back from the wheel and put in a, put in a patch. You can access the inside of the, of the wheel to be able to do some stitching, et cetera. So I do like the field serviceability of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cool. And and again, DOT compliance on beadlocks is cool. I want to say Hutchinson's the only other one of the, yeah. Hutchinson's are definitely like a true three piece beadlock. Correct. I've had them. You've had them on your G wagon. I think I had them on a JK a while ago. Great wheels. Very heavy, very purpose built. um, Very hard to balance. Yep. But did you ever get yours balanced on your JK? No. Yeah, no, that was, I would, but I was also like super broke at that point and probably couldn't afford to take it in for the hundred dollars because I spent all of my money on wheels <laughs> as everybody does in their early 20s. Um, yeah, I don't know. But what else is going on with the GX? So I'm trying to keep the vehicle as light as possible. Another thing I like about the GX is because it's a seven passenger, it actually has a proper payload. So it's yeah. 1500 pound payload and air suspension. So one of the things that I wanted to do was try try to keep the air suspension. So Matt and I are actually working on some ideas around keeping the air suspension. Now it's the BP-51 shocks, but in the rear there's air, instead of coil springs, there's air springs. So I want to try to keep the air springs. And the thing I like about that is when I'm not traveling and the vehicle's lightly loaded, I have good ride quality. Yeah. If I'm loaded up for a trip, I still have a good ride ride quality. So. Yeah, and and you know, I I think that a lot of people have had bad experiences with airbags, and honestly, that's all pretty much because of Land Rover. But you got to realize Land Rover is at the forefront of this technology mm. for you know automotive uh, passenger car use. You know, Firestone has been making airbags for you know semi trucks for forever, ever. You know those things. Uh, are are very very durable and and I think as Americans start to start to do more dual purpose vehicles where they're driving it to work they have the kids they want it to be a nice car they're spending money on these things it it, it gives a certain amount of duality to the vehicle and I think that I think that that's really nice it significantly improves ride quality and when you're doing long distance driving in my mind that's worth it yeah and the fact that I can fully load it up or if I want to pull a sailboat or what I can, I can tow things with it and it'll auto level, which adds a lot to the safety. And then the nice thing is you can push a button. If you're high centered, just slightly, yeah. you can push a button and raise the vehicle up another couple inches and 
hopefully get off the obstacle. I, I like the idea of air suspension. It'll be interesting to, to kind of see where you go with that. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to do a bumper or anything on this? I'm doing an air, ARB front bumper and a Warren winch, which is kind of my typical package that I do with this that. works. Yeah. Still trying to decide if I'm going to go with a roof rack, possibly. I'm going to put in the ARB link system just because I want to do a little more testing with yeah, that. I've never, I've never had any experience with, with there. Yeah, I do like the fact that it consolidates everything down to the one screen. But then, of course, you've consolidated everything down to one device. So if the device has a problem, mm. how do you turn on your lights? How do you turn yeah, on your compressor? That's, that's how do you really activate... True. How do you activate your air locker? And I'm not saying that there is issues with that, but that is something that comes to mind is you've really put all your eggs in one basket, but that's also a huge advantage because now you don't have wires going everywhere and the interface. I always say the number one risk to an Overland vehicle is aftermarket wiring. Yeah. Like I have seen so many specifically Jeeps for some reason, I think because they have a very small engine compartment or wires are running over wires and it just, just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. We've seen a lot of them burn down in yeah. recent years. You know, so. I, I think the cool thing with the GX project is that this is something, I mean, you can, you can find one of these for under $10,000 Correct. Now. now, granted, I mean, Scott, you're, you're doing premium stuff on it, but I think, I think the cool thing is, you know, for $20,000, you're going to have, you're going to have a very premium vehicle. You're going to have something that's really comfortable. You're yep. going to have, you know, you're going to have more power than, um, well, man, pretty much, Pretty much any new vehicle of consideration, more power than a Gladiator, Wrangler, Forerunner. Yeah, um, th- that motor was kind of a sweet spot. So it's, and it's, this is the newer variable valve timing model. So it's 275 horsepower and, you know, over 300 foot pounds of torque. And the torque, that's, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these motors these days for fuel economy make their power quite high up in the range. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to follow along with yeah, that. I'm excited. It's good for me to to try something new. I I totally got into a rut just driving my G-Wagon every day. And Well, it's 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 easy to do that. Yeah. It's kind of like a really nice firm handshake. It's it just works. Comfortable. It just, <laughs> yeah, it works. Oddly comfortable. Um, yeah. But, so then what's what's going on with your Gladiator? You know, I, I guess I've done a bunch to the Gladiator since I've really, really last talked about it. Um, you know, I'm still kind of chasing suspension problems, not problems, I should say, but, um, you know, it's I, not where you want it. I started with, yeah, it's not where I wanted it. And I started with the factory Mopar lift kit because I had, and I probably have one of the first hundred VINs of gladiators. Mine was really, really early. And that's what all that was available. And, you know, being also on the industry side, I, I knew that that's all that was going to be available for a while. So, so I put that kit in there and I'm still running the springs. I still haven't found a a, a suitable spring. Like I definitely need a higher rate in the back, mm. but I'm definitely starting to look at the idea of airbags because when I run around town in that car, um, it can be comfortable and it is a very comfortable vehicle. But when I'm loaded up and we're spending a month, you know, camping in the middle of nowhere, um, it, it would be nice to be able to throw a few pounds of pressure in those mm. airbags. Um, so you think you might replace the coil completely or put an airbag inside the coil? I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think what I'm kind of leaning towards is I'm leaning towards just doing everything with icon. Cause they have this variable rate spring. They yeah, can, can do can, all of the, all of the caster correction. I think that's probably where I'm going to go. Yeah. They have some new cool stuff coming out and, uh, they've always done a nice job. Yeah. Yeah. I I've, I've run their stuff before and it's worked pretty well. So, so we'll check that out. And, 
you know, right now I have some Kings on there and, and they're fine, but I think it's just how that, how the shock is tuned to those springs. I'm, I'll be honest. Yeah. I know that I can pull those things apart and I can valve them and whatever, but that's really hard to do right now. Like we're in Prescott. That means getting the vehicle to somebody that knows how to valve overland trucks, not race trucks. Sure. Which is pretty fine where I can kind of sell all that kit and just buy the icon stuff. And you know, it's ready to go. It's ready to go. And, and it's, and it's done. Um, yeah. There's so many, there's so many elements that come into the tuning of compression, rebound, spring rate, and then the frequency rates, roll center, yeah. all of that. And that's where the the OEMs, because they have access to all that data and they do all the testing, they tend to get those spring rates just right. Yep. But then once you load it up, then now you're outside then, of that. Yeah, your, your, your cards are off. I mean, this thing's been modified so much. It's um, tough. Yeah. It, and that's another reason why I kind of like the air, the airbags. Because I... Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're nice. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess where I have concerns is that vehicle was never meant to have airbags. Right. Um, but I mean, they've been doing these things forever, especially aftermarket, you know, kind of load bearing stuff, but yeah, you know, we'll wait and kind of see for some good kits to come out on that. Mm -hmm. I think initially I kind of, kind of rushed into what was available and I bought the best that was available. And I do think because of that, you know, buying Kings, I'll be able to sell those shocks for nearly what I paid for them sure. because there's a sub, you know, at this point, I mean, before COVID there was, you know, a two month wait for them. So I think that's the other benefit of buying really quality kit is if, if you're not happy with it for whatever reason, or you, you want to move to something different, you can always kind of sell it, sell sure. that. And that's, I know people will kind of be like, Oh man, this guy spends a lot of, a lot of money on stuff. But I, I, I think that I just spend my money in a smart way. It's, it's just never a total write-off, I guess. So I think most of my modifications on the Gladiator have come from the, uh, you know, from the AT Summit that I have on the back. I'm going to convert the entire electrical system to all Red Arc gear. Um, I had some other stuff in there that I was testing actually, actually to import. I mean, it just didn't meet my standards, so we're not going to do that. I'm just going to go with, the, with Red Arc. Tried and true. Tried and true, <laughs> and the stuff works. Um, I have their manager system and I kind of working on wiring for that, you know, right now, what I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm, I'm redoing the wiring. I redid all the wiring in the camper made harnesses for this red art kit. And then once I get back from Colorado, we're going to spend a few weeks up there. I'll, I'll get that in. And I think red arc has become like the apple of, yeah. of automotive electronics, because if if you're looking for a bunch of disparate systems and that's, I, that's been my experience. My challenge is you bring in a solar charge controller yep. and then you bring in uh, maybe a solid DC, state DC yeah, charger. Whereas all of this stuff, it works together. It's all having been in their facility. I was in their facility a few years ago and seeing the amount of attention that they put towards quality and they produce everything in Australia yeah. and right in Adelaide. It's really impressive to see. And they've got solar panels all on the roof and the Tesla power walls. And it's a really amazing facility. Really cool. And and it makes me recognize that when you, when you're looking at integrating electronics in with your vehicle, you're probably better off going with something that where everything talks and everything is designed to work yeah. together and you can end up with a fully integrated system. My, my next step beyond that, um, 
<laughs> currently, um, this system is sitting somewhere in either customs or on a boat or somewhere between Australia and the United States. I should have the first uh, Red Arc Red Vision system that I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for. That allows you to, you know, it's it's so comprehensive. And and again, with Red Arc, it's all meant for four wheel driving. It's all meant for overlanding. Um, yeah, it's, they they pot all the electronics so that it can handle high frequency vibrations. Yeah and high heat and even temporary water submersion, stuff like that. Yeah. So this, this red arc system, um, is it will control everything. You know, we're going to add some, um, I think I'm going to do these like rigid lights on the outside of the camper. Just, um, you know, as you know, uh, we're huge greyhound people. So when we're in the middle of nowhere, we want to take the dog out at night. It's just nice to, okay, let's just flood this scene in light. So it's late. I want to go to bed. Um, But this system is computerized and it has all of these inputs. It's kind of like an S pod or a switch pro or the ARB link system, but really meant for more of a camper installation. Um, So you can control lights. You can see the temperature of your refrigerator. Um, You can see how much solar is coming in, how much uh, is coming in from your DC, DC charger. So cool. I can control fans. I can control everything and it's all in one system it'll really clean up all the wiring on the vehicle because right now like most of us i'm using like a blue c fuse block yeah which is fine it works that's great um i'm just curious to to see what the where the industry is going i think um if if it's not us that test the stuff yeah talks about it we got to test it yeah so it'll be interesting to interesting to, to check that stuff out you know i got the manager red arc manager 30 which is the DC, DC voltage cutoff, um, solar, solar AC yeah. mains charging. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things all in one. Um, and the quality seems really great. That's a really impressive system. It's big. And that's yeah. probably the only downside is it's, oh, man, it's probably 20 inches long. Um, luckily I can mount it on the, the inside wall of the camper, but yeah. it's definitely something that like if I had a Jeep or a forerunner, it's definitely overkill. But for all of the DIY kind of building your own camper guys, um, you know, it's, it's expensive, but I think it'll, I think in the long run, it'll save you money. It will. And it's, if you think about all the systems that it includes, if you put all those different units together, it's the same size. It just happens, happens to all be in one. And I used that system pretty extensively in Australia and I was impressed by it. I, the, one of the HEMA map patrol vehicles, it's a 79 pickup and it had it that installed with the lithium batteries and I remember just driving across Australia. If you're in a campground, you can plug it in. Yep. If you're if you're out in, and if it's a cloudy day, you can plug it in. If it's if it's a sunny day, which it usually is in Australia, yeah. you got plenty of solar power. So yeah. it's an impressive system for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we ended up putting another solar panels. We have two. I think they're Overland Solar, 160 watt, really low profile panels. Nice. So that charges the lithium battery, um, like instantly yeah (laughs) yeah you showed me that lithium battery the other day that thing is sweet yeah it makes that one uh this one's just from renogy okay Um, you can get it on amazon um you know from my research there's really not yet a market leader in these lithium things that batteries that are really doing anything else um so i went with the largest company i could find sure um and it just so happened to be that under my drawer system this thing's nearly a compression fit. So it was really easy to install. And I was able to get 170 amp hours versus a hundred that I would have gotten with uh, the other battery configurations and sizing. So 
Um, you know, a lot of different lithium stuff out there these days and you just have to fit what do the works, research, you know, you know, figure out what works for you. Um, but yeah, that's so nice. I turn the little heater on and that thing. It's and so sweet. It's so well insulated. Like it's so sweet. Somebody can be talking outside of the camper and you can't even hear it. Right. Um, I love that thing. So yeah, I know that your whole, that whole system, that truck has come together very nicely. Almost too well. Like, yeah. you know, uh, those that kind of follow me know I have a glutton of trucks right now. Um, some of them are kind of, you know, more for work with Max Tracks and Adventure Imports as a show vehicle, which is kind of the gladiator and the, was originally the 80. Um, but I think that we might, we might start seeing some consolidation, but the Jeep will, no doubt the Jeep is going to be our new global platform. Um, I can service it anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's just, and it's everywhere brand new. It's around the world, people want a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. So, you know, and parts are cheap enough to where, you know, if something fails on my Land Cruiser that's 30 years old now and is the pinnacle of, you know, simplicity for an Overland vehicle, I think, well, I can't, where, where do I get the parts? Like you, you can't go to a Toyota dealer and just, Hey, I want this classic car part. You know, Toyota's pretty good. Um, and the parts, it's are still going to take parts a while. Are so expensive. I'm tired yeah. of paying for Land Cruiser parts. Like, yeah. like truthfully, the parts for my Land Cruiser replacement OEM parts are more expensive than the OEM Mercedes parts for the G wagon. Yeah. Like I, I I'm, I'm a little bit tired of that. Yeah. Um, expense and and for that vintage of vehicle because so many of them are still on the road yeah. and they're still so desirable and they're expensive so it means people have money to to yeah. replace the steering wheel if they want to yeah, yeah. so that it becomes very expensive There's scarcity I mean like I I currently do not have a factory alternator in there um, because the factory alternator is two thousand. Dollars. That's a lot of money for it for for what was honestly when the car came out probably outdated technology yeah. and now it's thirty years later. I don't know. I a little bit frustrated with that one. Don't be surprised if I mean it's a great vehicle if you're really enthusiastic about it. Um, my my motivation is travel and travel travel travel. I really am trying to refocus on that when when we're allowed to travel again and. Um, yeah. So what is that? What does that consolidation look like for you? If you, uh, want, to sh- if you want to share right now, I'm, I'm kind of a, a few things. Um, I think that the G wagon, while I love it and it's kind of like the. It's scratch, it's scratch of, itch. It's, it's yeah. the overlander equivalent of a Louis handbag. It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's really well made and you really like it and, yeah. and, and you love it. But I love the fact that I had mine before it was the Overland equivalent of a Louis handbag. Yeah. I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've, I've modified that thing very lightly. I think the cool thing with the G wagon is that they don't need, they much. don't need anything. Yeah. But I've really realized if I want to actually use that, it's going to need more extensive suspension upgrades. It's going to, it's going to need a little bit of work and I'm not, I'm just not really willing to continue throwing money towards something that I know that I'm never going to travel in. Yeah. Um, so I, th- and if travel is your goal, then why put all that and en- even money aside, why put the energy into it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that I'm going to end up doing a, doing an AEV prospector. Um, you know, they're, they're not cheap, but after you've built a few vehicles and, and you're really, you're really transforming these things, um, you know, $17,000 or seventeen five or something, AV 
converts uh, 2,500 or 3,500 of your choice. And it's done. It's on 40 inch tires, fully, enge- fully engineered, engineered, fully integrated. Yeah. It's done. And you know, the, the trucks aren't super cheap, but you know, you can get a, you can get a brand new, I'm looking at like the 3,500, um, you know, you can get one for 50 grand. I, I don't exactly know where my spec is going to land, but you know, if you look at it, so you can get, and I'm talking about a diesel 2,500, yeah. you can get one of those all day long for, for $50,000 or less right now. Um, they're offering 0% financing for 72 months. Um, thousand, I, a thousand foot, foot pounds of torque. <laughs> if now that motor is more expensive, but yeah, a thousand foot pounds of torque available. And you know, so your for, truck will have more tor- torque than all of my vehicles combined. <laughs> the G wagon already does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but you know, I, I guess I'm trying to justify this to everybody and I really don't have to, but you know, for 75 to $80,000 at, at the lower end of the, depending on how you, you spec that truck, you have a really, really well-built engineered vehicle that's going to retain its value. Yeah. Um, I know dozens of people that have spent far more than that trying to put 35 inch tires on their forerunner or Tacoma. Cause yeah. think about that. You're talking fiberglass fenders and paint. You're talking long travel suspension to do it right. All the labor, axle, yeah. all the labor, all the stuff and all the time that goes into it. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think that the, where I had never really considered a prospector before because I thought they were just so out of my realm. I guess what I didn't know is you can just, you can just convert a 2,500 to buy yourself. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think that's probably where I'll go. And, um, whether right now it's three months to get a truck, like, cause I'm going to order it. And then it's about a month to have AEV do the work. So, you know, we'll, and we'll, those vehicles work really well. I, I drove a bunch of the prospectors up to Tuktiuk Tuk in the wintertime up yeah. the ice roads and everything. And the thing that impressed me most about the prospector was I was driving a vehicle on 40 inch tall tires. One of them actually had 41 inch tall tires on it, but you can have, you can have like a completely relaxed conversation yeah. in the cab. You, you know, the, the steering wheel is heated. The seats are heated. The engines are, are so drivable and they have so much power when you need it. Yep. But then you can also just be idling down the freeway at 1800 RPMs and getting much better gas mileage than I get with my G wagon or even with the GX, you yeah. get better gas mileage. You know, and, and the trips that we're looking at doing, you know, we were supposed to be in Alaska now, you know, we were going to do Tuktoyatuk. We were going to do Dead Horse. You know, yep. we wanted to really spend a few months up there. And, you know, I, I, I do have to say I haven't really made a choice, but, you know, I'm looking at this Gladiator and I'm like, in what way is, you know, does the Gladiator become that global vehicle for me where that's that what would we make send sense overseas yeah. to, 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 to travel in and. Um, but we don't even know what that trip is yet. Does it actually make sense to just have one vehicle? And I think that's where the prospector is so cool because a six and a half foot bed crew cab, which is the most common configuration uh, of all full size trucks. Um, I parked one next to my gladiator at the, at the dealer the other day and I'd lined up the rear axle 
And granted, I kind of knew this going into it, but I lined up the, the center of the rear axle and it was, you know, dead on in the back as far as, you know, where the bumper was. Obviously, my de- departure angle is better because I'm on 37s and lifted and stuff. Um, but then I looked at the front end and it's maybe eight or 10 inches shorter. The gladiator is yeah. now the gladiator feels it's lighter. It drives easier. I mean, it weighs slightly narrower, yeah. slightly narrower. But once you put 37s on it and you space those tires out, I, mean, I guess that's a wash. Cause you're going to do the same thing in the prospector. But yeah, I, I have to say like, maybe, maybe I just go down to one vehicle and really just focus on travel. That sounds like a good plan. I, I, I really like it spend less, you know, everybody is very proud of built, not bought. Well, bought, not built allows me to spend more time on the trail and, and, everybody, there are, and everybody gets, now. some people enjoy building their yeah. vehicles. I, mean, you I make, do. Yeah. I, I was just geeking out on my gladiator. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an erector set yeah. for, for adults. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And then you, you recently finished up a KTM 950, which is, I think one of the greatest adventure motorcycles of all time. I love it. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a machine that was built for Dakar. Um, I want to say Fabrizio Maoni. I I'm likely butchering his name, but early two thousands, I mean, he was winning Dakar on this bike. The, The cool thing is that bike isn't that different than the production model. Yeah. Same engine. You know, they obviously made their, it, it's Dakar. They're the world's best riders. The suspension that they want is not the suspension that Scott wants or I yeah, want sure. or, you know, someone else wants, but I, I love the shape of these things. This was the motorcycle that I always looked at as a kid, Yeah, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I think I was, you know, I, I'm young. I think I was 13 when these things came out. Sure. And I just, I looked at the the newer options, um, the 1190 or the 1290 KTM, um, the BMW stuff, and they had less suspension travel. You know, they, they had more horsepower. Um, not much more. But not much more. You, you can't use it all anyways on a bike. I mean, not on the, the dirt. The off-road modes on these new KTMs are actually limiting them to less horsepower than than the 950 has. I, I like that. It's really simple. I know how to rebuild carbs now. Cause I've rebuilt my carbs. I, you know, did everything, but split the cases on this engine down to the frame and every wear component, every seal, um, anything that is, that is a known issue with these. I, I, I'm going to say restored it. Um, and I, and I really love riding it. It's, it's, like I, I was replacing bolts with factory KTM bolts just because they had some wear on them. But the cool thing is, is this was a project that was great for me and it, it cost me way less than a roof tent to completely refurbish this, this motorcycle. And now I actually know what I'm doing. You can uh, fix it in the field. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I like it and I paid $3,800 for this motorcycle. Yeah. I I have a similar love for the, for that bike. Obviously it was my first motorcycle was a KTM 950. I bought it in uh, 2009 and it's still parked here in the, in the Overland international headquarters. It it, a little bit worse for wear, but I, (laughs) I rode it, I rode it across the trans America trail and I somehow survived. So, but I think that it's a really special motorcycle. So it was cool to see you. It's it's just as, as a form factor, I just, it feels like a big dirt bike to me. I can actually move my weight all the way forward in the seat yep. and all the way back in the seat. Like these new adventure bikes that have stepped seats. Well, then you can't move around on the bike. And then people put these tank bags 
And maybe I'm not a super technical rider, but I, I do compete in motorcycle trials at a, at a, at a beginner level. Um, and I do do a few enduro races and stuff. So I, I, I just, it feels natural to me that bike. Sure. I get on the new stuff and I feel very constricted. Um, and again, they've made them SUVs now though. They've like made they're, them SUVs. They're two wheeled SUVs where they've got, you know, nav and heated, heated seats. And yeah, they, they really which do. Is, which is as a yeah. touring overlanding travel bike. Yeah. That's great. I, I, I wanted like a, I wanted like a Dakar style bike that I can go like really rip on or drive to Ushuaia. Yeah. Um, you know, you I bought have, the G wagon of motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I had the suspension redone, um, by moto lab. They really, they really know the big bike stuff yep. and they've done all my small bike stuff. Um, so then, you know, Rob over there knew how I, you know, knew my riding style, knew my capabilities, which aren't, I'm not professing them to be anything crazy, but you know, it, it's just, it's a neat bike. It's They're neat, really and special. It's fun. Like when I lived outside of Telluride and Ridgeway, you know, some of the roads out there were just rally stages and yeah. it was, you know, magic. you're just like on the front end of that bike, the magic. back end's coming out. It's magic. I love it. It's totally and, magic. And I'm, and I'm, it's not that expensive No, Like $3,800 into the, into the bike initially. And then I'm going to exaggerate and say that I put five into it. Yeah. So find me, that's what a new KLR. Yeah. A little more, a little, a little more, more, but not much more, yeah. you know? So I don't know. Well, that's a cool project. I like it. Yeah. Man. I like it. But, and then my, my other vehicles, I mean, the defender 110 doesn't need anything and there's no this reason, there's no reason to yeah. anything that I did to it would ruin it. It starts every single time. It leaks a little bit of oil, but it runs every you know, single time. Empty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, so it, what's going on with your G wagon? Have you made any changes to that recently? Well, I put some continental all terrains on there just to be able to test the tires. And I ended yeah. up liking them so much that I kept them on the vehicle because Which tires were those. So they're the, uh, terrain contact. Okay. Yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. So it's like a 34, 1050 on stock wheels and it just drives so great. And, and with a G wagon, because they could take such a large tire and the fact that it has triple diff locks, unless you're in mud country, like if, unless you're in dealing with mud on a regular basis. You don't really need a super aggressive all-terrain, whereas this is still a light truck construction, so heavy-duty sidewalls, but it drives great. Get better guy, get better gas mileage. It's all noticeable. I did uh, put a roof tent on it recently because we're doing a, a hard shell roof tent test for Overland Journal. So I've, I actually had a bunch of different roof tents on there, and right now I've got the Auto Home uh, Air Top, which... I forgot how much I like those tents. I mean, really, really, really nice, nice tents. Places to yeah, and you, those are you're listening that if you were to check out Overland Journal, you'll see our our recent roof tent test and the timing around this podcast we can kind of share. But the uh, the air top is in my mind one of the best options out there right now. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, th- I think the thing that I like about your G wagon is that it's old enough to not be the, the handbag, right? (laughs) It's 20, 20 years old. Yeah. Well, yours, it looks so purposeful and it is purposeful because yours was brought in by Europa. It is is like a gray market. It's a gray market. A bunch of the badging still is in German. And yeah. And the cool thing about it is that it uses a lot of their global platform motors. So you can go to pretty much any Mercedes mechanic anywhere in the world and they're going to know that transmission they're going to know that yeah. engine 
you know, it doesn't have, it, it has a single computer in the whole vehicle, which is for the ECU. So it's very mechanical, which, yeah. which I like. And it's the reason why the vehicle has been so reliable for yeah. me. And you had the, you, you kind of had that refurbished. So you had the transmission and the everything. engine, I mean, new pistons and everything. <clears throat> I put it. in a brand new factory motor. So it had a Brabus long block that I, I managed to put the, uh, one of the pistons through the side of, um, I don't know what happened. Something let loose on one of the connecting rods and, and it, and it, and cause I was just going down the freeway, maybe 3,500 RPMs and it all let loose. But so it's maybe making 260 horsepower, which is not a lot in that car. It's very heavy. So it's slow, but I don't mind that. I think for me, a governor is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mine, on the other hand, has the four liter bi turbo, and I've put the Rentec uh, chip on it. So I think it's like 525 horsepower. That's insane. Eight, <laughs> Twice the horsepower. Eight squillion foot pounds of torque. <laughs> yeah. And I think the cool thing with the G Wagon is that you can, you can feel what that car is doing more than, let's say, a modern car because the chassis is from the 70s. It is. The body, a lot of the stampings are the same stampings they've been using since the 70s. That's right. When it was the 460 and then the 461 and yep. now we're on the 463. I, you know, I'm sure there's a G-Wagon guy out there that will correct me on this, but for the most part, all of those components are very to a degree, yeah. very interchangeable. Um, but I can like, I can feel, uh, it feels like a dragster when I take off. <laughs> like it's like thinking, thinking building boost, getting 8 billion pounds of mass rolling and then it takes off. And I, and I swear it's like a dragster. Those tires are like, those tires are like twisting. Yeah. Yeah, The sidewalls, you can see them buckling. Yeah. Yeah, It's actually, mine doesn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I actually remember in my Land Rover 109 beating you in a drag race like 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, And I think that's the cool thing is you had that car for so long. I have like, yeah, I've had it since, uh, 2007, 2008, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Really, really cool machine. And, um, and I've completely redone it. That's the nice thing about a vehicle like that is it's, it's a, it's a modern classic. So, you know, I had it fully repainted. I had all of the drivetrain redone, found all the little pieces of wood trim that I could replace. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's got a front runner drawer system. Um, it's got some really nice Fox shocks, it has a come up winch on the front on a G wagon accessories mount. I went with a factory tow pin front bumper. Uh, that's it. It literally mm. has very few modifications because it just doesn't need it. Yeah. I think, I think overdoing those vehicles completely ruins them. I, I, I think so too. I, I went to 33s on mine. Um, the newer G wagons have a little bit more advanced, um, you know, ABS traction control system. So I didn't really want to mess with that. Um, with this 33 inch tire size, I was able to get a, there was kind of a size preloaded into the computer that was very similar. Um, but much, much higher than that, you really start looking at portals and yeah. that kind of stuff on the new ones, but I can't do a bumper. Um, well, yeah, I guess I can, yeah. um, I have the two intercoolers up front. I don't have the G 63 ones that stick way down. Um, it actually is the same bumper that like the G three fifty D or the diesel professional gets. Um, cause those do have intercoolers, but yeah, it's, it's G wagons are so fascinating. Like it's they the really only car, so like you start to get into them and it, it took me six months to really, really totally figure out the level of craftsmanship with that car. You know, the body is, 
I want to say it has two coatings before it's painted for rust resistance. It's galvanized or e-coated or something. But um, the, the thing that blew my mind was seeing all of the, all of the hardware is like galvanized or mm-hmm. e-coated. Um, but then they'll use like a copper based anti-seize. Like almost every bolt on that thing has anti-seize. Like how German is that? But yeah. that means some, some dude who's hand built in Austria by Magna Stair is actually like putting that on there and then yep. getting that bolt in. And then you that's s- why they cost as much as yeah, the, the, the body underneath is all hand sealed. So you don't get noise. You don't get fumes that come up. Um, you know, the it's, it's just a fascinating car. They're like, really, they're really unusual. And the fact that they've been, that they have been used so much around the world by militaries and NGOs and everything else. Um, and the fact that so many countries have, Mercedes dealerships, other than Toyota, Mercedes is the most prolific for dealerships. So if I wanted to always have this car ready to go. So tomorrow, if I needed to leave and start, start driving to Chile, I know I could get the vehicle serviced along the way. You know, it took me, I I guess I've owned my G wagon since September. I really just appreciate, I appreciate how it's made. Like I like things that will last a very long time. Like the G wagon is very well made. It's, it's exceptional. Like the moment you close the door on that thing, you know, that it's, that it's different. It's, it's of a different caliber. And it's so cool that no matter if, you know, vehicle one that's coming off the assembly line is going to Kim Kardashian, same assembly line two, you know, vehicle two might be going to the Canadian or Australian military, or three might be a six wheel drive Brabus that's going to some, in Shake. Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but the point being the chassis and a lot of the driveline and everything, like, you know, compared to the, let's say a Range Rover, I, I think the Range Rover and in almost every measurable way is a better vehicle. It's quieter. It's more comfortable, arguably a, a quicker vehicle to drive. Um, but they have a little bit more of a temporary feel to them where the G wagon just feels like it's like buying it's like buying a really, really nice pair of hiking boots. Yeah. It, they're like Zamberland hiking boots where yeah. you're going to buy them and have them for a really, really long time. I've had my Zamberlands about as long as I've had my G-Wagon. Exactly. <laughs> so they're, they're fascinating vehicles. And I wish that people would see them for more than just, a, again, I'll call them a cod piece, right? Because there are so many people that just buy them. And, and I will frankly say suffer through them because what they say about you you know, they're not really that comfortable. Um, no, but, but it is like compared to a defender. It is more, I, what I, they're just a better defender. What I think I liked about it was, and, and of course, when I got mine was before, um, they were a celebrity choice, but, um, for me, it was the, as close to Toyota reliability as I could get, could get, but then it had the kind of the uniqueness, the funk factor of a Defender. Yeah. So it was kind of that combination of Toyota and Land Rover um, at Mercedes level of build quality. And and for me, if I look back on that vehicle, I have, I've never replaced it with another car. So I've, for 12 years, I've driven the same vehicle. Think about how much money I've saved. Yeah. I have saved so much money by just buying the right vehicle for me the first time around. Yeah. And so that, that has made me very grateful for that car. Cause I've saved a lot of money. It's I've had wonderful experiences with it, driven it all the way down the length of Baja and it's been all the way out to St. John's and everything else. So um, it's a, it's a vehicle that I've take taken great pleasure in dro- in owning and driving every single day. And I've not 
I've not lost a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, that's so the thing it's worth with as mine, much as I get, I paid for it. So where I talk about getting a prospector, I'm not going to lose a cent on this G wagon. I mean, knew they're like 120 to 140. Yeah. Or um, more <laughs> or more. I think the, the, no, the new one, the new, new can get up over past 200 with the G 63 easily. But you know, mine, I paid substantially less for that, uh, less than that. And I don't know, like driving the car for a year will maybe cost me a thousand or $2,000. And you know, that's a, that's a sizable amount of money. I mean, that could support me on the road for, you know, a month or two, but it it was an interesting experience. Yeah. They're a different kind of vehicle and they're not for everybody. Yeah. I mean, basically, again, you hear me use this roof tent analogy a lot, like, you know, owning a G wagon for a year will cost me about a roof tent. Yeah. So and now you're going to get a prospector. That's exciting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe possibly we'll probably see. for the listeners that don't know, I have um, a, a very horrible case of vehicle ADD. I guess, I, I guess this is part of my job. Like, yeah, I, I drive all of the latest stuff and I see these new technologies and I'm really fascinated in it. And I've kind of, I guess, found a way to, buy and sell at the right time. And maybe this is even something for another podcast as to like, okay, well, why does Matt have three vehicles? Well, because for 15 years I've been buying and selling cars in a, in the right time, in in a right way. And if you could time the stock market the same way, if I could time the stock market the right (laughs) way, some people have talents with stock markets. Um, I I, I just have a bunch of vehicle trucks. Um, And I think for those that are listening, one of the things that Matt and I have both learned is that if you buy the right kind of vehicle, the desirable, a, a desirable vehicle that has a good legacy and heritage behind it, where it will be popular and desirable for a long time. You can really lower your overall cost of ownership. So yeah. it may seem like, like, Oh, buying a G wagon seems so expensive, but if you own it for 12 years and you've not. not bought any other vehicles, then it's super cheap actually. Yeah. At I the mean, end of the day, you know, and, and, and everybody can do this, you know, it, it this can, this is as applicable to somebody buying a two to $3,000 car that they can put a little bit of work into. Like I never buy the cleanest car. I, I never buy the most expensive. Like it's just a different way of looking at things. I think it is. And, and I think that these projects are great for Matt and I, cause they keep us exposed to all of the new products on the market. It allows us to share with our listeners, our experiences, our positives and negatives that we've experienced with all of these various products. And that's why it's good to do these little updates every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is something, you know, that we'll do a little bit more regularly. We want to make sure that we keep this podcast focused on Overland travel because that is what it is about, but we're all, we're all car people. The cars are also super fun too. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you all for listening and we will talk to you next time. Take care.